I forgot to turn it on. I didn't test this either. Maybe. Oh, there it goes. Good evening, everybody. Good to see everybody out tonight. Our first song will be number 345. 345. When peace like a river attendeth my
Good evening, church family. A couple announcements before we have our devotional. Um, updates on our prayer list. Uh, John Klein had knee replacement surgery yesterday. Uh, he is doing fine. He is hoping um, he gets to come home tomorrow from St. Mary. So remember to continue to keep him in your prayers. Uh, the sister of Virginia Garlic and Margaret Wilgus, Rosemary Calicoat, has been moved to Heritage Center. For rehab, so remember to continue to keep Rosemary in your daily prayers, and also remember to continue to keep Mary Alice Cooper in your prayers as she still remains at St. Mary's at this time. Um, any update on Mary Alice? Anybody, Chris, have you heard? Nothing? Okay. Uh, Sherry Ward's sister-in-law, Fern Liston, Liston has COVID and is uh, at Columbus Hospital, so remember to continue to keep Sherry Ward's sister-in-law in your prayers, Fern. Also, remember to continue to keep Kristen Ward and Rusty Leap in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments. And be sure to grab a, a Rome journal every Sunday to see who else needs our prayers on our daily sick list. Chris will have our devotional, and Jim will have our closing prayer. At this time, let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious... Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for all the many blessings you've given to us, Lord. Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity to be here this, afternoon, this evening, Lord, to learn more about your word, to be able to apply your word to our everyday lives, so that way we can give you the glory in, in everything that you do, Lord. Lord, we ask you to continue to be with Alice and Rosemary and and Charlie, as they go see the doctors and the doctors that are taking care of them, be with them and heal them, Lord, that they will be back at 100%, Lord. We ask you this time to continue to be with our, our members who have cancer, be with Kristen and Rusty and Randy and Sherry and Jim and Hank and Dottie Hager, Lord. Just continue to be with them, be with them as they go through their treatments and um, heal that awful disease, Lord. And, that they won't have cancer anymore, Lord. Lord, we ask you at this time to continue to be with our shut-ins. Lord, we know we have so many of them, Lord, that, that either have COVID or just are not able to make it out, Lord. Just be with them. Let us be an encouragement to them. Let us send a card to them. Let them know that we are thinking of them, Lord. Continue to let us be a shining light in their life, Lord. And Lord, and also continue to be with our, our youth group here, Lord. Let us continue on growing spiritually in you, Lord, that, that um, we would always look to you for strength and guidance in our life and be with our graduates, Lord, that they will continue on looking to you for, for the truth, Lord, in everything they do. Lord, continue to be with us now and the rest of this week, Lord. Let's always put you first in our lives. Thank you so much for the hope we have in you. Lord, it's in Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.
All right, our next song will be number 851, Blue Skies and Rainbows. <clears throat> Blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven are what I can see. When my Lord is living in me, I know that Jesus is well and alive today. sunshine in my soul today.
Um, I had struggled in high school, and when I got into college, my GPA wasn't where it ought to have been. <laughs> so I started looking for classes about my sophomore year that would allow me to raise my GPA up to where I thought it should be. So we didn't have basket weaving, so I thought uh, I will go with ceramics. It seems like an easy class, right? Uh, how can you judge art? For those of you who don't know, you can judge art. And ceramics turned out to be a very difficult class. Um, I spent hours outside of the instruction in the class, in the class, trying to figure out how to make a bowl or a vase. And, and then I would put it inside the kiln. A professor would turn the kiln on. He'd say, come back tomorrow, the next day, and see how you did. And that was the only time we saw him all week. He would be there for class. He'd tell us, kind of how, tell us how to do things. He'd put it in the kiln for us. He'd turn it on. He'd walk away. We never saw him until next week. And so we spent, I mean, hours and hours outside of classroom instruction in that classroom trying to figure out how to build vases and bowls and stuff like that, salsa bowls. And so I would put my creation, I don't even want to call it a vase, it's a creation. I would put it in there in the kiln, and I would come back a couple days later, and guess, guess what had happened? That thing was in shards, uh, just a... Several good-sized chunks of clay uh, had, had ripped off of what used to be my vase. And I thought, oh, man, I thought I had it for sure that time. So I'd go back, and I'd start trying to, uh, to work on it again. This time I was more careful. I'd make sure that the, uh, all the clay was together, that none of the... the uh, we did it like a rope, and you just kind of wound it on up. I'd make sure that none of that was had air pockets in it. I was trying to make it so smooth, and I'd put it back in the kiln. Come back a couple days later, a couple pieces. And I thought, man, I finally, for those that are interested in the story, I finally figured out how to make one that would last, sort of, in the kiln. Uh, but it reminded me of Second Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 7, that's, that's where I wanted to bring our Devo from today and hopefully a word of encouragement for us. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthians. I, if you're familiar with this congregation, you know that these people struggle. Um, both First and Second Corinthians uh, are just kind of filled with um, struggles that, these, that this congregation uh, is in the midst of. And Paul actually writes two more letters to this congregation that we don't have anymore. Uh, and if these two are any indication of what those two were like. I think it was just more laundry list of problems that they had. And so, especially this year, uh, we maybe identify with, with this congregation more than we have in the past because we're struggling this year, aren't we? It's, even if you've gone through the pandemic and the social distancing and all the stuff that we've been through, uh, well, you're still struggling. There, there's just no way around this, is there? You kind of find yourself... Um, Depressed, both physically but also spiritually, aren't we? It's, it can be very tough. Um, and so I think that's where a lot of us are. And so I wanted to encourage us tonight. Let's listen to what Paul says to this beleaguered congregation who are just beset with struggles. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, but we have this treasure. What, what treasure is he talking about there? He doesn't use that term lightly, Right? What treasure is he talking about? 
he's talking about the gospel, right? If you go back and you look in chapter 3, you'll find Paul talking extensively about this treasure that is just beyond compare. He's put it in this really special place. Listen to where Paul says that God has put this treasure. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That verse kind of changes your life. If you really soak down into what Paul's trying to get across to the Corinthians and to us there, it really changes your life, doesn't it? Because he's saying, the things that you do and the change that happens inside of you is not your own doing. Because we're just jars of clay. Like, like my vases earlier, those things are so fragile. They're so easily broken. Heaven forbid if the person sitting, sitting next to you brushed your vase with their elbow, somebody would have come unglued, <laughs> especially if it fell to the floor. You know? These things are so incredibly fragile. Paul says, God says, we're exactly like that. We're, we're really fragile we're easily broken. We're easily messed up. And so if you're feeling a little messed up right now, I think this is for you. I think this is the perfect word of encouragement for you because he says the power's not in you anyhow. You don't, you don't have to fix it. And you can't fix it. In fact, God's the only one who can fix it. If you want to put a cross-reference to this passage here in Scripture, you might want to go back and, and write in Gideon. Write in Gideon right here in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Because Gideon's story illustrates what God is trying to get across to us in this passage perfectly. Do you remember Gideon's story? Gideon has a problem. He is a young man when God first comes to him. Uh, and he is a, a nobody. He, he's the youngest in his tribe, uh, and he doesn't have very many people at his beck and call. It's not like he can call up an army whenever he wants. He can't even call up ten servants whenever he wants. But God comes to him, and he says, I've heard Israel's cry. God has punished them because they refuse. They just refuse during the period of the judges to submit to him. We've talked an awful lot about submitting to God in the, in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and so you're familiar with that term, but Judges echoes that from the Old Testament. They just refused to submit. They would for a few years, and then they would go back to doing whatever they wanted to do, worshiping whoever they wanted, living however they wanted. And that's a theme you see throughout Scripture, idolatry and immorality. We still deal with some of that stuff today, don't we? We may not be carving up false gods out of a tree stump or, or worshiping a rock, but idolatry is still very much alive today for us, isn't it? as well as immorality. And so, Israel lives how they want to live, and God punishes them by bringing in a foreign nation to subjugate them for a period of years. And finally, Israel's hearts will eventually, through this pain and suffering, turn back to God, and He will raise up a deliverer. In the book of Judges, these men are known as, and this lady is known as, a judge. Gideon is such a man. And in his time, the Midianites have subjugated Israel. And when 
a man goes to count the Midianites. He says, I can't. I lost track. They're as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so you want to start fighting those guys? You better be able to bring an army the, si- the same size as the Midianite army, right? And so when God calls Gideon to fight against the Midianites, to kick them out of Israel, that's what Gideon starts doing. He starts amassing an army. And he amasses a pretty good-sized army. In fact, it's a little over 30,000 men. Pretty good-sized army, but they are dwarfed in comparison to the Midianite army. And then God says, there's too many. You can kind of see Gideon go, God, I must have something in my ear. I thought you said there's too many. There's obviously too few. It, it sounds like you said there's too many people for you to give us the victory. God says, yeah, there's too many of you. And start whittling them down. So Gideon says, if you're scared, you, you can leave. 20,000 people are scared and they leave. It's amazing that the 10,000 remained, right? And then they go through all these different challenges, lapping like a dog out of the stream or, or you bending down and, 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 uh, and cupping it with your hand. And Eventually, God whittles down their army to 300 men. And finally, he says, this is enough. Do you remember why? Why is this the perfect illustration for what Paul's trying to get across to us in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 4, verse 7? Because God said, with 30,000, with a 30,000 person army, you would think, I did it on my own. God says, that's not the point. That's not the point I'm trying to get across to you. So he whittles his army down to 300. He could have done it with one. He could have done it with none. But he whittles it down to 300, and they obliterate the Midianite army, without even drawing a sword. They don't even have swords. They're not armed with weapons. They're armed with torches and, and, interestingly enough, clay jars. God accomplished the victory that day. And that's his whole point throughout all of this. He can do it. We can't. And so we rely on him. The point I want you to get out of all of what I'm trying to say tonight, we may look at a couple other um, examples throughout the New Testament maybe, is that God loves to work through broken people. He loves to work through broken people. I think he would rather work through a broken person, the more messed up person, than he would the one who's the perfect example. Why? It's the Gideon principle, right? Because when he takes a broken mess of a person who is just down and out, without hope, and he turns them into someone who is looking like and acting like and being like Jesus, everyone around them, is painfully aware that there's no way that person did that themselves. There's got to be something working in and through them to transform them into this image, to change them, to transform them like what they've been transformed. They could not have done this on, the, on their own. He loves to work through broken people. And so if you're struggling today, struggling this week, this year, You may be in the perfect position for God to use you to do something truly incredible.
you remember the Apostle Peter, often I refer to this, uh, this good man as the, the Apostle with the foot-shaped mouth because he just doesn't seem to be able to keep his foot out of his mouth, does he? Uh, in our lesson sun, this coming Sunday, um, this coming Sunday we're going to talk about uh, where he, he proclaims Jesus as Christ, as the, the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior of Israel. And then he takes him aside just a few seconds later and rebukes him. Would he have really done that if he had thought he was God? We'll talk about that Sunday. But he obviously sticks his foot in his mouth there, doesn't he? Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 9 that when he comes to faith, we'll get to Paul in just a second. When Paul comes to faith, he goes to Jerusalem. He meets with Peter and John and some of the other pillars of the church is what he says in Galatians 2 9. These men who... If you had a Bible question, if you had a, 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 a hypothetical question, how, how would Jesus handle this question? Who are you going to go to? You would go to one of these men. You might seek out Peter, and, and you would ask your question to Peter or John or, or James or one of these other men that was pillars of the church. And so Paul does that. He, he seeks out these, these men, uh, and he con- converses with them for a very short period of time. The point being that just a few verses after that in Galatians 2, Paul withstands Peter to his face because Peter's in the wrong. He'd stuck his foot in his mouth again, hadn't he? But who had done more good for Christ up until that point than the Apostle Peter? Who had been more transformed than the Apostle Peter? This man went from rash and impetuous to just not even thinking it, but doing it. You know, a lot of times we tell our kids, you got to think before you do. Peter's mom was still telling him that at 50. You know, like, you got to think before you do. And eventually, he got it. And he became a pillar in the church. He became an elder in the church. And you can go back through and you can read his letters that he wrote to the churches where he talks about being steadfast in suffering. Where do you think he learned that? At the feet of Jesus, right? No other man was more transformed up until that point than the Apostle Peter. Everything had changed for him. Was he a testament to God's grace? Absolutely. Had God used him to do some incredible things? Absolutely. Was it painfully clear to the people who really knew Peter, that Peter hadn't done any of this on his own, but that God had transformed him? Absolutely. You fast forward just a few years, and you meet the Apostle Paul. But before he is the Apostle Paul that we know of, he's Saul, the persecutor of the church, Saul of Tarsus, right? The one who, in Acts chapter 7, is the man that condones the death of Stephen, And you don't have to read very far into Stephen's sermon to know what a righteous and good man Stephen is. In fact, he's chosen as one of the seven first deacons of the church because of his righteousness. He's a good man. But he's a Christian. And Paul thinks that they're blaspheming the Christ, that they're blaspheming God, that Christ is blaspheming God. And so he starts, makes it his mission in life to tear apart 
the, the foundling church. Later, in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul would say, I'm the least of all the apostles. Why's that, Paul? Because I persecuted the church of God. If you remember what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, he's got this thorn in the flesh and he pleads with God to take it away from him. Three times, three different occasions, he pleads with God to take it away from him. Do you remember what God eventually says to him? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. So if you're feeling weak, if you're struggling right now, you may be at the perfect point for God to use you to do something incredible. He loves to work through broken and messed up people. Peter is the perfect example. Paul is the perfecter example. Gideon. The Bible is replete with perfect examples of God taking a broken, incredibly wounded and messed up individual and doing some pretty incredible things through them. You remember Rahab in the city of Jericho? Her profession? What did God use her to do? Well, she was the great-grandmother of the great King David who becomes the great-great-great-great-grandfather of the Savior. If she wasn't there, yearning for righteousness, Jesus wouldn't have been born through that line. Isn't that incredible? He used a broken individual, someone that we would look down on, to do something truly incredible. Was she wounded? Absolutely. Was she messed up? Yep. Did he use her to do something incredible? He did. The axis pivots on, are you trying? You go back through and you you talk about all these men, all the women in Scripture. You can read through every single one of those stories. The axis pivots on, are you trying? Were they yearning for righteousness? Or were they just living life? Because there's a difference, isn't there? And when we suffer, when we struggle, when we're hurting, in the middle of our mess, it's a little bit easier to see how much we're hurting and how messed up we are, isn't it? It's at that point that we really start yearning and longing for righteousness. If you're there, if you're yearning and longing for righteousness... Tonight can be the pivot point for you. You can be baptized into His blood, having your sins washed away. Maybe you've already made that decision tonight. And you just need the prayers of this congregation to continue to long for that righteousness. David would put it, that longing in these terms, like a deer that's thirsting for water. If you're yearning for righteousness like that, this is His call. For you to come to Him and be filled, be satisfied. Why don't you come tonight as we stand and sing. Restore my spirit, Lord, I need restored. My heart is weary, please help me, dear Lord. I stand.
rebuild my faith, restore my soul. Revive the fire, Lord, deepen my soul. Stir my desire to work in your fold. Light in my heart, dear God, your zeal from cold. Renew my love, rebuild my faith, Lord, restore my soul. Renew my courage, Lord, it needs restored. My cup is empty, refill it, dear Lord. Replace all doubts and fear with faith so bold. Renew my love, rebuild my faith, or restore my Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank you that you have given us another privilege, an opportunity to assemble here and to worship you. And we pray, Father, that the things that have been said and done this day have been pleasing unto you. Father, we just pray that you will be with us and help us to strengthen each day to be the examples that we need to be, that you will help continue to mold our lives and help us to look to others to teach and to Bring them your word and that we can lead them to Christ. Father, we pray that you will be with all those that are on our sick list. There are just so many. Father, we just pray that you will reach out and touch and bless and heal each one of those and comfort them. Father, be with those who are still mourning the loss of their loved ones. Just give them strength and comfort. Father, we pray for our leaders of our congregations the world over and just Help them to lead us and to do those things that were pleasing unto you. And, Father, we pray for the leaders of our world and our country. Father, we just pray that they will look to your word for the decisions they make and that whatever they say and do will be to the benefit of the American people. Give us strength through this week, through each day of our lives, and watch over us. And when you are finished with us, give us at home in heaven with you. For we pray in Christ's name. And amen.